The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm Pastor Matt. Um, it's going to be a great afternoon. I'm looking forward to the chili cook-off. Um, if this is your first time, like Pastor Kevin said, if you'll fill out one of those guest cards, we have our giving stations on the way out. Um, just want to give you a couple updates. Every first um, uh, first of the month, we try to do an update on our foundations campaign. Foundations is the, the journey that we started last fall and our, our uh, process to a permanent facility. And if you've been with us through the summer, you know that we've identified a facility. God has been so creative and incredible and in showing us kind of a, that next step. Uh, things have been progressing with Heart Song, and uh, we are, uh, I, I just can't believe the favor God has given us in the process. And pe- with people that you really don't think favor happens, city officials and tax collectors. And God has given incredible favor through that process. Um, we've been able to get some permits extended and, and save money. Um, so really between the two things that God really paved the way for, uh, really saved us about $100,000, um, which is huge. Um, and so we've got an, our architects are, are rocking and rolling. Next month, I'm so excited, we're going to have uh, like actual renderings of the facility that we'll be able to share for our uh, one-year anniversary of the campaign. Um, we've got a construction company on board, which is awesome because they said two weeks and under budget. So I'm like, you had me at two weeks. <laughs> but uh, in- incredible firm. They love working with churches. Um, I've actually worked with them in the past and uh, looking forward to uh, that process. And um, uh, funding, we're in the process with that. And so uh, our what I love about our architects, our builders, our bankers, and our attorneys is we can sit around the table before and after a meeting and pray. And God has brought incredible uh, people to that team um, that we can make an example of how a church really should do business and, uh, and for uh, all of us to agree in prayer. So keep praying for us. And this is not an easy thing, and it's not the only thing going on. Um, and uh, so I'm grateful I got to have last weekend off. And thank you, Pastor Trinity. He's off this weekend. Um, we're going to have to work on his stamina. He's like, man, I preached and I got to take a weekend off. I'm like, suck it up, buttercup. But, um, um, but I, I just want to see if he's going to listen to the teaching. Because <laughs> I listened to last week's teaching. I'm going to clear up a few things today. By the way, I don't play golf. But I also want to give you an update. Our team, Amber Galloway, Ryan's wife, and, and Karen Ganner in uh, Ireland, things are going well. They sent me a picture of the morning the other day. So jealous. Um, but I'm grateful our weather changed or I would have been catching a flight over the bike. I think y'all need some ministry help. Um, but they're doing great, man. God is just really doing some incredible things, and I can't wait for them to be back to give us a, a full update. I'm not going to steal any of their thunder. And when they get back, they're going to tell us about all the, the amazing things uh, that God revealed to them, did through them, they got to be a part of. And I uh, keep praying for them. They come back on the 12th. Um, and then we, we gave Ryan the weekend off because he's Mr. Mom, and that's just hard for a man. So, But thank you, Fred, man. Yeah, we have an incredible band and worship ministry, and so I love that we can worship together. Uh, Trinity talked last week about uh, Apollo's Creed, and uh, <laughs> I actually, when I was sitting there listening to the message, I was, I was glad Trinity went there. You know, I'm like, he's funny. He's not as funny as I am, but he's funny. <laughs> I was like, Trinity, you've got some rocky theology there, buddy. Uh, 
and the banter, see? <laughs> and then the banter will continue. Um, so, but what it made me think of is, is sometimes we don't pay enough uh, honor to traditions. And we're going to do something in a minute. We're going to stand up and we're going to read the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the apostles didn't write this, but this message encompasses everything that the apostles would teach as they went through in the book of Acts. And so um, instead of Apollo's Creed, we're going to stand up and we're going to do the Apostles' Creed. So if you would stand up and they're going to put it on the screen for us. And I'll, let's read it together. Some of y'all like to read fast and some of y'all like to go slow. Let's do this together, okay? And uh, so here we go. Are we ready? I believe in God the Father. Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I did put this, you guys can be seated. I did put the asterisk, the Catholic Church, because some of you are like, what? I thought we were non-denominational. We are non-denominational. That Catholic means like church universal. It means the church. Uh, we believe in the church, which is the body of Christ. That's the Apostles' Creed. That, that would encompass the message that they would carry as they went into the areas in the book of Acts. You know, we like to say the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the church. Here, here's what happened. The, the Holy Spirit fueled the message then the apostles went out, and this would be the message that they, they discussed. And so they would go out and preach the full gospel. And, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 19 today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the roads. If you don't own one, write your name in it. Take that home. That's our gift to you. But as you're going to Acts 19, I want to, I want to kind of challenge you with a, with a few questions. Um, you know, do we worship God in a false way? Because some background on the city of Ephesus that we're going to deal with today is the, the city of Ephesus was about 250,000 people, very cultural city. Uh, there was a, a temple in Ephesus that is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's a temple of Artemis. Uh, there would be a lot of false worship uh, to Artemis, um, and they, Artemis was the god of sex and beauty. And so uh, Artemis was really a means to an end. I, I don't worship sex and beauty today. I mean, you can tell. See, I just gave up on that a long time ago. <laughs> I gave up on that about 30 pounds ago. Um, but we worship, and, and we're, what we're really looking for is something to fulfill us. And you look at the city of Ephesus, and it's easy for us to point back into history and go, they were so misguided because they were going in a temple, and there was really vile acts that would happen because they're trying to appease a God because they wanted to be accepted by, in their society. They wanted to have kids. They wanted to fit in. They wanted to fit this mode. Basically, they just wanted to be fulfilled. Everything we worship is an attempt at fulfillment in our life. Whether, that's, whether that is sex or beauty or money or power or pride, whatever it is, 
We are looking for fulfillment. It's like Jesus and the woman at the well in John 4. And he's like, if you would have known who was asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. And what, what he goes into is this whole beautiful discussion about fulfillment. Everything that you're seeking. He calls the woman out. He said, you don't have a husband now. Matter of fact, you've had five. And the minute you're living with now, you're trading sex for rent and you're still not finding your fulfillment. What we are looking for is fulfillment. When he talked about worshiping in spirit and truth, it's about fulfillment. That's what's going on in the city of Ephesus. And, and what I want to do, we're about to have revival breakout. I'm not going to share any Greek with you this morning, but this is even deeper. It's a map. So let's throw this map up real quick. Um, this is Paul's third missionary journey. But uh, this shows the route that Paul would have taken on his third missionary journey. Today, Acts 19 uh, really starts that, that third journey um, that Paul takes before the end of his life. Uh, in the first two journeys, he, would, he had gone out. What happened when Trinity finished up with you last week, um, he was in uh, Corinth, and then he had come back home, and he had sailed to Jerusalem, and then went back up to Antioch. Today, we're going to pick up, and he's in Antioch. Antioch's over here, just north of Abilene. You know? <laughs> There's really nothing in Abilene, is there? <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was funny. Um, but, uh, but Paul's in Antioch, and he's going to make his way to Ephesus. Now, that's about three feet, but that's a long way on a map, especially if you're going by foot. So Paul is walking, um, and this is just to set it up, because what I love about Acts is, is Acts 1.8. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. This is where it started, and then in Judea and then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we're seeing that happen. This gives us an incredible visual about the message that compelled Paul and the transformation of life that compelled Paul to leave Jerusalem. I mean, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And look at, this is one journey. He's got two previous journeys, and Paul is, he's going around sharing the fullness of the gospel. We just went through the Apostles' Creed about what we believe. This would have been the message. We like to speculate on what Paul would have preached. That gives you a great idea that Paul would have preached. He preached Jesus. He preached a clear message about the life, the death, the resurrection, and the, and the, the, the supremacy of Christ, the resurrection of the body, the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit. And, and we see this really just beautifully in all of these cities. So as we, as we engage in this teaching this morning, I want us to understand the fullness of the gospel. I think a lot of us uh, uh, like to pull pieces of the gospel. Uh, just like in Ephesus, Artemis is a means to an end. Too many times we use Jesus as a means to an end. Here's a question that I want to reverberate this morning. Do we use Jesus to get what we want? Or is Jesus what we want? This is a challenging question, honestly. Francis Chan wrote in his book, Crazy Love, and he said, if you could have all the benefits and blessings of heaven, but not Jesus, would you still take it? That's a question to wrestle with because many of us follow God for what he can do for us or the benefits that we receive from following God. And we really miss the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the question. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the problem. Jesus is the solution. It's all centered and focused around Jesus. So as Paul goes in, he's going to preach and proclaim the fullness, the full 
gospel. So let's get in Acts chapter 19. I'm going to read verse 1 through 7, and we got some comments to make. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road uh, through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Corinth was on the other side of the map. That's where Apollos was. Last week when Trinity uh, talked about Apollos, thank you, Maria, uh, Corinth is over here. When, when Apollos was with Priscilla and Aquila, they were correcting his theology. Theology and doctrine matter. They were correcting his theology, his doctrine. They were discipling him, mentoring him. So Apollos is in Corinth. And then Paul says, says Paul's in Antioch, and he takes the interior road to Ephesus. So he arrives at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So Paul is a great at engaging in conversations. He's the kind of guy you'd want to take to a work party just to get the conversation started because he could probably mingle really well. But once he starts preaching, you're going to separate from him. Now he must work downstairs. <laughs> He's in the mailroom. So he starts a conversation with these men. And he obviously finds out they believe. They have some religion. They have something that they're tying themselves to. But he said, well, did you, believe, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you baptized? And they said, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, what happened? What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So let's talk about this for a little bit. So Paul engages in a discussion with these men, finds out that there's some, they're, they're, they're holding on to a religion here, and that, that is what John said, what I have isn't going to save you. John the Baptist was the forerunner to Jesus. He was the voice in the desert preparing the way of the Lord, and he would preach the repentance of sins that the Lamb would bring. When Jesus walked by, he said, Behold, there is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. John said, The one who's coming after me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. That's the one you need to follow. And they believed in John's uh, message. And they had believed in the repentance. They had been baptized for the repentance of sins, but they didn't have the fullness of the gospel. The fullness of the gospel had not happened until Jesus, who is the Lamb that John pointed the way to, was crucified, was buried, and was resurrected. And here he's after he's ascended. And these men, they're saying, well, we believe in John's baptism, and so we've got repentance of sins. Repentance is good, but, but the full gospel is not just repentance. There, there's a lot of us that, that kind of stay around uh, this idea of repentance. Many Christians believe that, that repentance is really just staying one, I'm sorry, air quotes, in front of death. That we continue to get caught up in this cycle of, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or we get into abusing grace. Well, I said I'm sorry. We, we think that, well, God, I repented and God forgave me and the cross covers my sins, past, present, future, so I can go on living the life I want to live. 
So we come and think of this as like the altar. In the, in the early tabernacle, there was an altar that the, the sacrifice would be made for the atonement of sins. And so there would be this altar, and then it would be like fiery, smoky. I mean, like, you know when you're around a barbecue pit or you have a fire, um, you just smell that for days. It gets stuck in your nostrils somehow, and you're smelling that smoke smell for days. That's what people, there's a lot of Christians walking around that smell like this because all they do is they stay around this altar of forgiveness this altar of repentance. And they think that the whole Christian life is just saying, I'm sorry. Well, I repented. I confessed of that sin, so I'm good. The problem is we never walk away from that altar to progress into maturity and holiness. Beyond that altar is a basin where we can wash up, where we can get the ash off of us, where we can get the blood off of us, where we can move. And there's a progression in the tabernacle that eventually takes us to the Holy of Holies. When Jesus was crucified, the veil of that tabernacle was torn from the top to the bottom, and the presence of God and the access to God was given for all. And when we are, when we are saved, the Holy Spirit then indwells us, seals us, moves in. And we can move beyond this altar of repentance to a life that reflects holiness and maturity because it does matter. The fullness of the gospel is not just repentance. Repentance is essential. I mean, it it is foundational. I mean, that we have to repent. We have to come to Jesus and say, "I, I am a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. I need your atoning sacrifice on the cross to cover me. Forgive me, but we have to get up and start walking and walking towards maturity and to holiness. It's just not about the confession. So we go on, then John says, he says, well, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. We were baptized for the repentance of sin. Many Christians will equate their salvation experience to baptism. Salvation, the gospel, is not just baptism. We, we like to look back to this moment and say, well, I was baptized, so therefore I'm going to heaven. There's nothing about the water that's going to save you. When we baptize, we use good old city of Fort Worth water. There ain't nothing holy about it. Y'all know my recipe for making holy water. You boil the hell out of it. Ain't nothing holy about that city of Fort Worth water. What's holy is the mystery in the baptism that God gave us. That is a symbol of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. That when we have given our life to him, that we've been given new life. We've been made new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. As Jesus told Nicodemus, that spirit gives birth to spirit in us. And the water is just a symbol that my life is like Christ. I am dying to an old way of life. And I'm being raised to walk in a new life that reflects Jesus, that reflects holiness, that moves past the altar of repentance, that then takes us into holiness and maturity and it's, I, I'm, I'm, that baptism is like my wedding ring. I can wear my wedding ring, and that says, ladies, back off. Even though I gave up on the, 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 the beauty 30 pounds ago, I'm still taken. You can't have none of this. I am reserved for one and only, and she is the woman in my life. If I take this ring off, I'm still married. It's an insight. It's a heart thing. It's not just the baptism. If you equate your salvation experience to just baptism, 
Let me say this. Honor that symbolism, but submit your life to Christ. Maybe today is the day that marks that new life. And maybe today honors the ring that was given to you years ago when you were baptized. And it's this altar that makes that a sacred thing because it's fulfilled by the life that Jesus gives you today. The full gospel is not just baptism. Scripture said here that, that Paul laid his hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. Uh, this is, uh, Luke is the author of Acts and he's not trying to set a, a, a pattern here that, that here's how God works. What I've learned in Scripture that when you read all of Scripture, God doesn't like to be predicted and God is not predictable. I mean, you even look at Jesus, how he healed the three blind men. You've heard my, my take on that. He touched one, he spit in the ground and made mud, and the other guy spit in his eyes. Those guys would have a terrible argument if they started trying to predict how Jesus heals blindness. He's not given a pattern here. Here's what he's doing. He, he's the whole, when we're baptized when, or when we're saved, here's what happens. We repent, we confess. God makes us a new creation creature, and the Holy Spirit then moves in. We get the fullness of God out salvation. Why didn't these men? Because the gospel hadn't been fully proclaimed to them yet. And God's also not going to get ahead of himself to confuse anything. What did, what did, what did Jesus say about the upper room in Acts 1-8? You will be my witness. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The gospel is now being proclaimed in Ephesus. God's not going to allow the Holy Spirit to go out before to cause confusion. Because what had happened is we, we do what a lot of, lot of us tend to do. We, we, we make the Holy Spirit the end game. The gospel's not just the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is vital in our life. People ask, you know, well, are Christians spirit-filled? Absolutely. You better be. When you give your life to Christ... The Holy Spirit baptizes you, seals you, and fills you for the day of redemption, marks you as a Christ follower. And then in the letter that Paul wrote back to Ephesus, the town that he's now in, he writes a letter back. In Ephesians 5.18, he says, you need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. The way that translates is, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a constant process. And a lot of times we like to associate our life as like a bucket and that we ask the Holy Spirit to fill us up, but there's a crack in the bucket somewhere, and so we're just leaking out everywhere, and we got to call, like, you know, Stanley Cleaner, Stanley Steamer, you know, they make carpet cleaner, or the next best thing to do is, boom, see, y'all think advertising doesn't work. It's, let me give you more of a, a realistic picture of that passage that Paul's telling the Ephesians. Ephesus is a port city. There's a lot of people in our church that have bought sailboats recently. What is one thing absolutely vital to make a sailboat move? Wind in this sail. Us being filled with the Holy Spirit is like raising our sail. The Holy Spirit's referred to as wind in Scripture. So we've got to raise our sail. We've got to say, God, continue to fill me. And what happens is the Holy Spirit fills our life and moves us and guides us. 
The Holy Spirit's fullness in our life is what propels us to preach the fullness of the gospel. The Holy Spirit's fullness in Paul's life propelled him from from Antioch to Ephesus to be able to proclaim the truth of the gospel. That when everywhere you see that red line on that map to go in, and that's the Holy Spirit's fullness in Paul's life. He's got his sail up and he's ready. God, I am here to be used by you. Use me however you need to use me so that Jesus is made clear and lives are changed. When our lives are full of the Holy Spirit, it moves us to the altar of repentance because the Holy Spirit will provide conviction in our life. It's not Jiminy Cricket in your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit's work in the life of a believer that will convict us of sin and say, God, I can't deal with this. And God says, we've got to deal with it. He moves us to the altar of forgiveness and repentance. We deal with that. We confess it. We repent it. Holy Spirit, continue to fill my life. He's going to move us beyond that altar because he doesn't want us just to stay there smelling like smoke. That Holy Spirit fullness in your life that as it sails up is going to give you fruit. There's going to be fruit. What, What Luke is saying is when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, something different is going to happen. These men spoke in tongues and prophesied. Prophecy is the the clear proclamation of the word of God. They are making Jesus clear. In Acts chapter 2, when they spoke in tongues, what happened? Think about the progression of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, the disciples and the apostles are gathered in the upper room. Holy Spirit comes down. The disciples go out. Acts chapter 4, now it's gone in Judea. Acts chapter 8, they're in Samaria. Now we're at Acts 19, and he's in the uttermost parts of the world. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit that moves us into life, that we move with the fullness of the gospel. So the Holy Spirit's going to give us fruit, the love, joy, peace. That's Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's going to give us gifts. Paul talks about gifts in Ephesians 4. He's writing a letter back to the church at Ephesus. There are gifts that are given. He talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. Each believer, each Christ follower, each new creation, when the Holy Spirit fills you, he gives you a gift. What is that gift for? To make Jesus clear. Anytime the Holy Spirit moves on your life or in the life of a believer, it's not to make it weird. It's to make Jesus clear. I get the question all the time, are we a spirit-filled church? Are we a charismatic church? You know, and, and here's what it equates to. Can I be weird when I come to your church? We're all weird, but you ain't going to act that way. Or, I don't want to be uncomfortable. Let me tell you something. God is not a respecter of persons, but when he does move and the Holy Spirit moves on the life of a believer, he is not going to make this situation confusing. He is going to make the person and the work of Jesus absolutely clear. That is his job that he makes Jesus clear. He leads us into all truth. Read John 14 and John 16. He leads us into all truth. And what happens with the truth? It sets us free. When the Holy Spirit moves, there's someone bound in sin and bound in lies and bound in deception, and the Holy Spirit moves and freedom comes. So the Holy Spirit has an absolutely beautiful role. It's easy for us to start chasing the Holy Spirit and miss Jesus. But, but I, I'm chasing the Holy Spirit. You know, fill me. How many Christians have I come across and, and I too felt inferior and, and unloved because I wasn't receiving the gifts that other people around me received? 
God gives a specific gift to specific people for the purpose of the gospel. And then how many times do we start saying, I, I got to chase the Holy Spirit because I need more fruit. I need more, more, more gifts. I need more peace. I need more, all, you know, how many times do we, what did I go back to? Do we use Jesus for what he can give us? Is Jesus what we want or the things of Jesus what we want? We'll start chasing the Holy Spirit because we want the gifts of the Holy Spirit or we want the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something that I've learned. Uh, it happens when we abide in Christ. An apple tree produces apples. Christ followers are going to produce fruit. I've never been in an orchard and an apple tree standing there straining going, make an apple! You know, like straining to make an apple. It's not the question, if a tree falls in the woods, does somebody hear it? it the question is, can you hear an apple tree grunting and straining to make an apple? What does the apple tree do? He is firmly rooted in this fertile soil. When we abide in Christ, who is the true vine, we produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces it in us. We don't have to work to do it. So when I need more joy, what do I do? I seek Jesus. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? Seek his kingdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. All those other things. How do I get more joy in my life? Seek Jesus. Abide in Christ. How do I get more peace in my life? Seek Jesus, abide in Christ. Jesus isn't a means to the end. He is the end. Jesus is the peace. He is the joy. He is the patience. He's the end. Through this process, I've never been more challenged as a leader, as a man, as a husband, as a father than I have in the last six months in leading this church. How do I find peace in this? I seek Jesus. I have to get up and do a soil check every day. Am I firmly planted and abiding in Christ? If I'm not, I'm not going to find peace. There's not going to be any joy in this process. It's going to be an absolute beating, and we're going to end up trying to figure out how to get things done under our own power and under our own will. And he says, no, seek me first. Seek my face first. The joy, the peace, the patience, all that will come. But abide in Christ. So let's, let's go on. Verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. So what happens is he, we, just got, we just made the entrance into Ephesus. Now we've got to keep going, right? So he comes in, he meets these 12 guys, has this conversation with them. Then he uh, goes into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he starts reasoning, arguing persuasively, preaching the truth of the gospel, being clear, making Jesus clear about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way is what was given, uh, is really kind of a term given to uh, the church or Christianity. They maligned the way. So Paul left them. Remember, Paul had learned a lot about healthy relationships, being able to walk away when you got to walk away. And so he walked away. He left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So what happens is Paul goes into Ephesus, goes into the synagogue. He's preaching. He's reasoning. He's proclaiming the fullness of the gospel. And they disagree with him. They start to kick him out. So he goes and he rents a daycare center. 
or a lecture hall. For two years, he proclaims the word of the Lord. Here's something interesting. Don't miss this. The fullness of the plan of God. Remember Acts 16? Where did Paul want to go when the Holy Spirit restrained him? Asia. In the fullness of time, God brought Paul around. Throw that map back up, Maria. I want you to see something. Paul is in Antioch. He's moving over. And you see he's about Lystra, Iconium, and Derby. And he wants to go into Asia. And the Holy Spirit restrains him. The vision of the man calling him is to Macedonia. It's the yellow up in the upper corner. So he's faithful. He goes to Macedonia. He wanted to preach the gospel in Asia. Here's what happens in the fullness of time with God's restraint. At that point, God's saying no, but it's not yet. Paul's in the province of Asia now. For two years, he's preaching in Ephesus, and all of the Jews and the Greeks in the province of Asia heard the gospel, the fullness of the gospel. So what is the fullness of the gospel? It's Jesus. All of these other pieces are elements of it, but the fullness of the gospel is Jesus. I want to read you something. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's Colossians 1. The fullness of the gospel is Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, the good news, the fullness of the good news is the end, is Jesus. So I ask again, do we use Jesus to get what we want or is Jesus what we want? When we move through life, do we move with the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that we've handled repentance and we're walking in obedience and we're seeking Jesus. When Jesus stood in front of the the disciples and said, follow me without abandon, they followed. Why? Because they saw the fullness of God who was pleased to dwell in Jesus who is the firstborn over all creation, who through his sacrifice on the cross reconciled all things to himself. So the challenge is, and let this this wrestle with you, do we use Jesus to get what we want or is Jesus what we want? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Amen. 
we ask for you to forgive us when we have uh, tried to use you as a means to our end. Lord, we just ask that as we wrestle with this question, it's not an easy question, would you give us the self-awareness? Would you give us the discernment? Would you give us the ability to see and, and assess the truth? Father, we ask for your forgiveness, and we, we come to that altar of repentance and, and ask you to search our hearts and forgive us when we try to use you as a means to an end. Whatever the end is, it, it could be different or the same for every one of us, but when it's other, anything other than Jesus, it's sin. I pray you forgive us. Father, if there's anyone in this room that is not following you, I pray that that you just, in the quiet, the depth of this moment, that you speak into their heart, or maybe they're already feeling you draw them, because part of the Holy Spirit's work in earth is to convict us of sin, but also to, to, to woo those that you are calling. And maybe there's someone in this room that feels that, and they don't know what to do. I just pray that you give them the courage right now to say to you, Jesus, be the Lord. Forgive me for trying to find fulfillment in everything else other than you. Make me a new creation. Restore me. Renovate me. Be the Lord and boss of me. I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose again. I believe that through your blood shed on a cross you were reconciling me to you and I ask for that to be the reality that my life is centered around Father I pray for all of us there's no magic prayer that we can say to conjure up anything but a true heart that's humbled to you I ask that you fill us move us so that we can make your name more known. So that just as everything that motivated the Apostle Paul to go preach the gospel, we will do the same. That we take this message of reconciliation to a world that is so desperately looking for fulfillment. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this in the name that that is above all names, that name under heaven by which no man can be saved and it is the name of Jesus. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.